When I was 18 years old, I faced one of my greatest fears in life, and that fear was none other of roller coasters. Yeah, that's funny, actually, because I was 18 years old when I first faced this fear. Let me tell you how this went growing up. We went to a lot of amusement parks, but I would be the kid with my older brother and sister who would always just sit on the bench while they went on every ride. And sometimes my mom would sit with me and sometimes she wouldn't because she was a good mother and she wanted to ride roller coasters. And, and she'd give me five bucks and I'd go and I'd, to the arcade and I'd play games. And I was like, I don't really need those rides. And to be honest, I was scared stiff. I would look up at that ride and see it going upside down and so fast and think, my life's really fine without that ride. <laughs> Until I turned 18. And I made the big mistake at 18 years old of dating a girl who was also best friends um, with another girl who started dating my best friend. So my best friend in life and I were dating girls who were best friends. Guys, that is a bad idea if you're single. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Because my best friend knew that I was afraid of roller coasters. Whenever our friends in high school would say, hey, let's go, I'll go to Great America. I'd be like, ah, I'm busy that day. I can't make it. And he'd be like, yeah, right. And he would never tell anyone. But I did not go to the amusement park with my friends because I was scared at, to ride a roller coaster. And so in front of my girlfriend, my best friend says, hey, I got an idea. Let's all go to Great America. And I'm like, oh, you did not just say that. And so she says, oh, I love Great America. And Dave, we'll be able to ride roller coasters together. I'm like, yeah, that'll be great. Thinking, how can I die before now and then? And, um, and so the day comes and we go to Great America. I just had to go. How can I not go? And to our dismay, it started raining on the way there. I thought they're going to close the park. And then it stopped raining. And so when we got there, there was no one else there, which was really bad because the long lines were gone. <laughs> so we go in and my friend says, hey, let's go right over to Shockwave. Now, if you've been to Six Flags Great America in Gurney, Illinois, you know that the worst ride they ever invented there was Shockwave. It had the most inversions, which means pain, basically, of any roller coaster in the world. It would go upside down seven times in about 90 seconds. If there was any roller coaster you don't want to start on when you have a phobia, it's that one. Unless your best friend's with you. And he said, come on, we're going over. They're great. They're all running. And I'm just, okay, here we go. And so I follow them. And so we go up there and we go through all the turnstiles. And I'm noticing the signs, you know, these warnings, which are not helping, right? And there are things like, uh, warning, not, you know, responsible for lost items. All right, well, I, you know, my stuff's all right. Uh, warning, not responsible for injuries. Well, that doesn't sound too good. And then you get closer. Warning, not responsible for your almost sure and sudden death. That will happen on this ride. And so my heart's pounding and we get up there and he says, let's ride in the last car because you get a, a better whipping effect from that. And now, and now I'm thinking, who is going to be my new best friend in life? Because he's no longer that person. And so uh, we sit in the car and, 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 then, and then there's my girlfriend next to me and she looks over and she kind of smiles and grabs my hand. I thought, this isn't going to be so bad. And then it happened. That big imposing bar came down over me and a, and a worker came by and said, keep your head back. This whips you pretty good. And I was like, what? What do you mean? And so I noticed that there were these things that kind of hold your head in and they had these big pads on it. And I thought, what is this for? And I found out very quickly because that roller coaster was the least smooth ride in the world. It would bang you wildly as you were going up and down. Well, I somehow survived that 90 seconds of torture and faked it. When I got off, he told, you know, both of our girlfriends, that was Dave's first ever roller coaster. And, uh, I was like, yeah, it's no big deal. And I was all dizzy and trying to find my way. And she, then I was kind of endeared to my girlfriend because I did, you know, it was great. And actually now I kind of like roller coasters. I do. It's, they got me over my phobia. 
that big fear in my life, uh, I faced it at the age of 18. You know, Americans are scared of a lot of things. I looked it up. Here's some of the things it says we're scared of. A lot of Americans are, have a fear of flying, a fear of public speaking. A lot of you don't want to be where I am right now. A fear of heights, a fear of the dark, a fear of intimacy, a fear of spiders, a fear of commitment. We're afraid of things like f- losing our freedom. We're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of experiencing pain. We're afraid of disappointment or being miserable or being lonely. We're afraid of being teased or ridiculed. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of failure. And we're afraid of death. Now these fears cripple us, don't they? They bind us. They create emotional instability in us. They produce anger. And they stunt our spiritual growth. And as Christians, God wants us to move past fear in our lives. So we're in this Lenten series called Deny. And today I'd just like to use this passage to talk about denying fear in our lives. Maybe it's something none of us would have ever thought about giving up for Lent. For me personally, I gave up drinking soda pop. It's been hard. It really has been. I know, poor me. But uh, I really like to drink Dr. Pepper and uh, haven't been able to do that. But this is a different kind of denying ourselves, of fear. There's a lot of fearful people in the passage I just read. The Jewish authorities were really scared of Jesus. They were afraid he was going to change everything. That if enough people started following him, the religious systems would fall down. They would lose their influence. The disciples were scared of those same Jewish authorities because they were going to stone Jesus and they figured if they were going to kill him, they might be next. They might end up in jail or worse. And then Mary and Martha, they were very scared and rightfully so because their brother was on his deathbed and they did not want to lose him. They couldn't imagine life without him. How would they get along? What would they do if their brother died? And many of us in this room know how paralyzing death can be. How it can stop our lives. How it can send us into places we never thought we would go. Death really is our greatest enemy. It's our true ultimate fear. It's the king of fears. It's the big bully of every human being. Somehow we know that death is not what we were meant for, yet it's our reality. And if it could be overcome, if somehow death could be overcome, wouldn't that be amazing? Is that just wishful thinking that that could even happen? Seems too good to be true. Well, here in John 11, Jesus gives us a precursor of what he's about to do. Just a couple days later, when he goes up on a cross and he dies for the sins of humanity, defeating sin and death on the cross. And then he rises from the dead to show that he really did it. He defeated death. And this is a precursor. This story, this account is what he was about to do. He was going to provide victory over the great fear we all have of death. Now Lazarus is sick and dying. And he clearly has a friendship with Jesus. It says that earlier in the gospel stories that Mary and Martha opened their home to Jesus and his disciples. They, they had meals there and they spent time with them. So there was a friendship there. And so when he became sick, it was natural for them to find Jesus and reach out to him. They sent messengers to find him and they wanted his help. But the message was kind of interesting, wasn't it? It wasn't what you'd expect. The message was, Lord, the one you love is sick. What a curious way of describing Lazarus. I mean, why didn't they say something like this? 
I'm Lord Lazarus. You know, the, the guy from Bethany. He's sick and dying. He needs your help. That would have seemed to make sense. Or, or Lazarus, the, the brother of Mary and Martha, who have been very good to you, Lord, and your disciples. Uh, they need you right now. Or, or Lazarus, uh, the very moral, religious guy. He needs your help. No, that wasn't the identity by which Lazarus was known. His identity wasn't tied to his sickness. It wasn't tied to his family situation or his success or his morality. His identity was tied to Jesus' affection for him. He was the one that Jesus loved. What a way to think of ourselves. A lot of reasons we have fear in our lives is because we've misplaced identity. We started believing that our worth comes from anywhere else other than what our Lord thinks of us. I mean, who would you be if you lost your job? Would that rock your identity? What about your savings? What about your home? What if your kids weren't so perfect? What if something happened to them? What about all of your abilities and your talents? What if those were gone? What if your attractiveness started fading or you lost a special person in your life? What if you lost your status, your authority in your job, maybe? You see, if you're putting your identity in any of those things, it is not a safe place. You'll always live with the fear that you could lose it at any point. Oh, but there's an identity that you can never, ever lose. The one that Jesus loved. What an amazing statement. You know, I work with teenagers, and teenagers uh, spend a lot of time managing their identities uh, through social media primarily. Of course, the way that they dress and the people they hang out with is very important. But they're online, and they're trying to show the best, the image of them they want everyone to believe in. And, and we all kind of do that, but, but it can become uh, an obsession if you don't get enough likes for a, a picture that you're, you put up on Instagram or, or if you don't have enough people following you on Twitter, if they're not retweeting things that you put up there, it, it's, it's this constant back and forth. If you're not understanding the teenage world, this is what they live under all the time. What do people think about me? Am I accepted? Do I have worth? And they're constantly looking to others to sort of make a decision about them. It's really a, a really pressure-filled way to live. Oh man, but as followers of Jesus, our identity does not need to be mixed into what others think about us. It's what he thinks about us. Guys, as you sit here today, do you think of yourselves as the one who Jesus loves? Is that the way you think about it? Have you allowed him to love you like that? Have you allowed him just to gush his love over you? When we sing songs, do you just let his love wash over you? Do streams of living water come flowing through your heart from the Lord? It was a few years ago, and I was in my Young Life office where I work in Western Springs. I was alone. I was having a hard day. Uh, Maybe a hard week or even a hard few months. I just remember I had been under a lot of stress. I was getting some criticism that I wasn't doing a very good job. I wasn't reaching enough kids. I wasn't just kind of producing what I'm supposed to as a Young Life area director. I was walking down the hall, completely alone in the office, and I heard a whisper. I don't know if it was audible or if it was just 
to my mind. I really don't. But the whisper said this, I love you. And I knew that that was the Lord. But you know what my reaction was initially? Yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. And I just kept rushing and I sat down in my chair. And the impression got stronger. I love you. And I stopped resisting that word from God. And it broke me in half. And I was just weeping, sitting there. Because for the, maybe the first time in a long time, I knew that it wasn't about what I was doing. It was just about how he loved me, how he felt about me. That at night when I went to sleep, my Lord was singing over me. Do you know he does that for you? Do you know he does that for you? Do you know that he's crying over what you're crying over? Do you know he has the very hairs of your head numbered? Do you know his love in your life? Has this Christianity become about rules and coming to church and being good? Or is it a love relationship? Oh man, let's let him love us. Guys, it's great news that our identity can be tied to his love. There's a world out there that's trying to earn their way to God's affection. If I'm just a little more good than bad, I'll be good with God. That's not how it works. It's really not complicated. Let go of your pride and just say, God, love on me. I need it. That's what a Christian is. And this family knew the love of Jesus in their lives. It says this in verse 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, now when he heard about it, he stayed where he was two more days. Is anyone else curious of what in the world Jesus is doing here? Why did he wait? This is kind of like I'm a dad, you know, 12-year-old, 9-year-old. My kid's riding their bike. They fall. They scrape their knee bad. I see it happen, and I go, all right. Hey, I love you. I'll be there. I'm going to go finish the House Hunters International episode, and then I'll be out. We'll take a look at that knee in a little bit. You would be like, that is a bad dad. (laughs) Somebody deal with that guy. Why is he waiting? Lazarus is sick. He needs help. Jesus can provide help. Why? Well, I think uh, we get a clue in what he says in verse 4. He told his disciples, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. You know that the focus of our lives, guys, needs to be on the glory of God. As soon as it's on other things, other glory, we're in trouble. We have a lot of fear because we've misplaced our glory. And you know, our sinful nature constantly wants glory for itself. Uh, We want to be the ones that's praised. We want to be the one that everyone's looking to. The wonderful one, the loving one, the beautiful one, the powerful one. And if you've got any of those qualities, you have got to acknowledge this morning that those are from the Lord, that he is giving you reflections of who he really is. So anything that you have that's good, my ability to stand in front of you and deliver this sermon is because he is the master teacher. Amen? It is not because I am somehow great. It's because he is so great and that he can actually give someone a little bit of a gift so that we can be blessed. Well, that's true of all of us. That we are just reflections. We are image bearers of him, right? We're his image bearers. We reflect God. 
but yet we take it on ourselves. And we say, I want everyone to see and know who I am. Or we pour glory on other people. It was never meant to be there. It was meant to be upon God and God alone. So why did Jesus wait? Because in waiting, the miracle would become even greater. If you've been a a believer in Christ for a while, that you know very well that Jesus does not show up when you want him to. He is on his own time frame. And he often waits until the only solution, the only possible answer is him. And that's exactly what happened here. You know, Jews in that day believed that after death, a person's spirit would hover over them for three days just in case they resuscitated so that they could come back to life. So it's significant here that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days already because those Jews who were mourning knew that there was no hope of him coming back now. So they were asking the question, couldn't you have kept him from dying? Yes, he could have. He had been healing many people. They knew he could have kept him from dying, but he didn't do it. He let him pass away. He let him die amazing, so that his glory could be seen even further. Says this, talking to Martha, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? What a great question. Do you believe this? That when we die, we're not really dead. We're just sleeping because we close our eyes in death and we open them up in the presence of our Lord, of our God. He said, if you're in me, it's like you'll never really die. And when you're living, you'll be really, really alive. And he asked her, do you you believe this? Do you trust me? We have fear because we misplace our trust. What an amazing thought that is. So Jesus had him roll that stone away. In three words, he said, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. And it makes me think of the beginning of the Bible when the same God said, let there be, and there was. And the universe came into existence. And that powerful word of God brought this man back to life. Can he do that in our lives? Is he powerful enough to turn a situation that you are full of fear about? Can he turn that situation around for you? Can he speak into a dead place in your life and bring it to life? Can he do that? Does he care enough to weep over you? Is he speaking to your heart this morning? Christians, why are we afraid? Why are we afraid? He said, he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. His love for us is so real. There's a world that needs to see people living fearlessly. It's a world that will be changed when they see us facing hardship with incredible grace and joy because our Lord's presence is with us. So here's what I'd like us to do as we pray. I'd like you just to hold your hands up like this. And as you do that, just everybody go ahead and do this. As you do that, I want you to close your eyes and think about the thing that you fear the most, the thing that's causing you 
the most stress in your life. And I want you to hold that up to the Lord. It's like an offering to him. You're letting it go as we pray. So let's pray as we hold those things up. Jesus, you really did defeat our greatest enemy, death. In a couple weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter when you died and you had the power to raise yourself back to life. You said, I lay my life down and I take it back up again. That's the God that we are talking to now. You're also the one that was weeping over the death of Lazarus. You're also the one that said, you're the one that I love. You're the God we're talking to. Not some distant God, not one that's far removed from our pains and our difficulties, one that's close and that loves us. We hand you these fears. We hand you these situations that are bigger than us. And we pray that you would take them, let them melt away in your presence. Lord, you tell us that perfect love casts out fear. Let your perfect love fill our hearts that this fear would melt away. And Lord, may you receive the glory. May others be amazed as they see us living fearlessly every day because of your presence in our lives. We offer them to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.